Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To infiltrate the Oscars with our movie on how to save a mockingbird? Yeah, yeah w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, 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 oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Anthony and uh, the other side is Brad. Welcome to another episode of Double Feature Versus. How y'all doing? Brad, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, Especially, I'm excited about today's pair of movies because they were two movies I haven't seen in a long time. Yeah, yeah, I got some things to say too. Um, (laughs) uh, So today we got, uh, both of these are actually directed by Henry Selleck. I don't know if you were aware of that. Uh, I knew that they were Tim Burton movies. Mm, I don't know if Tim Burton had anything to do with uh, our second choice here, but um, basically what we have today is uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas versus Coraline. So basically, you know, a little bit of creepy cartoons to watch for the Halloween season. Um, but So basically, Nightmare Before Christmas uh, is directed by Henry Selleck, and Tim Burton produced it and like oh, gave yeah. the story, had the storyline for it. So he, it is basically his his story. He gets story credit for this, and he produced it. Uh, Coraline, I don't think he produced Coraline, but Henry Selleck uh, directed it, and it's based off a Neil Gaiman book. Yeah, and I heard that it's actually pretty close to the book, except it adds a couple things to make it an easier transition to a movie. Right, right, right. Um, you know, I, I know I usually ask the question, which one first, but it, it, it kind of almost makes sense to do Nightmare Before Christmas as, um, this is kind of Henry Selleck's debut. Right. Um, and it's in 1993. So let's just do Nightmare Before Christmas first. Look, man, um, off the top, I, if you never knew anything about me, um, outside of maybe two to three movies, I really don't like musicals. I don't know if okay. you were aware of this. I was not aware of this. I don't think we've ever really talked about, or we did do a musical episode once. Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. I, I don't know if you could see by the way I was talking about certain things that I was a little like, I had to watch this for the show. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just I'm just not a musical guy, man. Like, like I said, I like some things like Hamilton, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, but you you're not going to find me watching Les Mis or Rent. Okay, that that's fair. Uh, it definitely, you have to get in a mindset when you're watching like a musical. Uh, for me, I can do most like kind of Disney movie musicals where it's not like a full-on musical, but it's very like musical oriented, like Lion King, uh, Beauty and the yeah, Beast, I mean, like those kind of movies I can do. I mean, uh, most people can do that though because that's like the childhood, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um... Nightmare Before Christmas is one of the rare films from my childhood that I never watched. Oh, really? You didn't grow up with this movie? I always knew it existed. I just never found time to watch it. Like, you know, I, I never owned it. Um, I don't know. My mom's a Jehovah Witness. She probably didn't want me watching this. 
But uh, yeah, she felt okay with me watching Stephen King movies. <laughs> the the logic, right? Uh, but um, I don't know, man. I just never watched it. Uh, I I always knew it existed, but I never like caught. I never like directly caught wind of it until you know today. Oh, so this was like your first time watching this movie entirely. Uh, both of them, yeah. Oh, oh, wow. So th- I'm really excited for this out because I didn't realize that you had never seen these movies. Because the- in my head, these are like the classics that everybody had seen, you know, at some point in time. Like Coraline, when that came out, that was like a huge talk in theaters because of how far they had taken like the 3D claymation. Yeah, I knew it was a big deal. And I know uh, Laika, um, who was a, who was a, you know, a, Basically, basically a heavy hitter now as far as animation films yeah. go. This is like their first one, right? Yeah, I I had always knew this was a a big deal when it came out. I just I I it's one of those films that were just always on the list, you know. And then when you said, "Hey, let's watch Coraline and Nightmare Before Christmas," I'm like, oh, "Okay, today's the day." Yeah, I'm glad that we can knock these two out perfectly then, because yeah, I originally got the idea for this one because uh, when I was on vacation, I went to a trivia night. And the trivia was on Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline. And the trivia made me realize it's been a long time since I've seen these movies because I can barely get any of the answers for it. Oh, wow. So I was like, it's time to do a (laughs) rewatch. Yeah. All right. So um, first off, Nightmare Before Christmas. So a quick synopsis for all of you that haven't that are like me, which I guess is a minority that haven't seen this before. Um, this tells a story of, uh, Pumpkin Jack, uh, Jack Skellington, Jack Skeleton, um, who was the king of Halloween town, you know, and they, uh, they celebrate Halloween 24, 367. Uh, and that's just basically the main theme in the whole town. Uh, picture, picture Frankenmuth, uh, for all my Michigan fans out there that celebrate, that have a lot of Christmas stores. That's basically what Halloween town is for Halloween. Uh, so one day Jack Skellington, uh, stumbles upon Christmas town and this is a whole new holiday to him. This is a whole new world to him. He steps in through like a tree or doesn't he? It's a door in a tree. So all of the holidays have like a door on a tree as representation. So like Easter, Christmas, Halloween, uh, there's one for, I want to say it's Hanukkah, then... There's some others. I can't remember them off the top of my head, though. I uh, think, um, was it Easter and Thanksgiving? You said those already, right? Uh, there was a Thanksgiving one. But yeah, so it's various holidays are represented by these doors, and Jack comes across these doors, and he walks into the one that's shaped like a Christmas tree. And it ends up bringing him to like a Christmas town where it has Santa and all the elves making presents. Snow right, is right. everywhere. It's just it's a completely new experience for him. Yeah, and at this point, he kind of like um, disrupts the natural process of things, uh, becomes obsessed with Christmas, and wants to uh, take over Santa Claus's job. And you know, from there on, it's just like a whole bunch of uh, you know mischief and mayhem. You know, as far as Disney could take it in those days. Right. Yeah, this is very, like, kiddie, uh, pseudo-horror kind of aspect to everything 
in Halloween Town, where it's like clowns yeah. and skeletons, vampires, and you know, basically everything you would attribute to like a Halloween season, like in the Target section, you know, for uh, costumes and stuff like that. So that's right. pretty much what the entire town is made of, and it's all that Jack knows is Halloween because they put on the celebration for Halloween every year. So when he finds Christmas Town, uh, he's enthralled because he's getting bored with being just Halloween oriented all the time, and so he wants to take over Christmas for uh, Sandy Claus, as he calls him, in order to do something new. And yeah, being that they're all like uh, bats and like bugs, scorpions, and like. It, a pseudo like of uh, scary and gross in everything. Mm, <laughs> it, it doesn't work yeah. out so well when they're trying to convert that to Christmas. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's funny, dude. I gotta be honest with you, man. Like a- after the first thirty minutes, when I just kept hearing the singing, I I kind of halfway tapped out. Oh like, really? I, I I watched the whole movie. I did. Um, it's just that the singing kind of kept distracting me from the actual plot. Okay, because like, I didn't think that the... Well, I guess, yeah, there is a lot of songs in this one and everything. Yeah, and, you know, Danny Elfman is a you know a very talented um, uh, musician. It's just... This isn't the Danny Elfman I like when I watch Batman with Michael Keaton, you know, versus this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey... It, it, okay, so this is it. I, I'm... With Little Shop of Horrors, I knew that that was a full-on musical because I had heard of that film before. Well, I had heard of this movie before, too. I didn't know this movie was a musical. Like, that's the one thing I didn't know about this movie. I knew Little Shop of Horrors was a musical because it's based off a a Broadway musical, right? Uh, Yeah, Little Shop of Horrors was based on a Broadway play. Yeah, so, um, you know, I I basically, I tried to follow this movie, and I, I did, um... I don't know, man. I just, this one didn't grab me. See, I'm wondering if it's the musical part or the part that you just didn't grow up with this one. Because I can say on my rewatch, I was kind of going through it and going, yeah, this this movie like seems to jettison the plot pretty quickly along a lot faster than I remember. Like, I remember starting the movie and then it finishing and going, that was it? I, I remember this being a much longer movie. Well, no, the, I don't, I don't. I don't mind that because that makes the movie shorter. That way it's not like a lot of time wasted. Mm. I don't mind them jettisoning the plot. Um, it's the musical side of it, man. It really just turned me off, just personally. This is just my personal view. Um, yeah, the, the plot going fast, uh, I didn't have a problem with that. Um, the characters were good. You know, I like Jack. Um I keep calling her Corpse Bride, even though that's not the same character. Uh, Sally. Sally, yeah. Like, I, 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 for once, for once about time, I thought Corpse Bride was a sequel to this, and that was her character, but I guess not. No, it, that's a uh, completely different movie. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I liked her character. Um, I liked Santa Claus. The Boogeyman was funny. Like, I liked the characters in this. Like, the, the plot itself, I think this works better as a thirty-minute short, but. You know, I understand how it's stretched out to a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can see that, especially if you're not into the songs and stuff like that. If you took the songs out, you could probably condense this plot pretty quickly into like about 40 minutes or so. And but the songs with it is 
I, I love the songs in this, but at the same time, I've also listened to them since I was a kid. Like, there's so many cover albums for this movie that I'm pretty sure you could almost pick any band and just look them up in Nightmare Before Christmas, and they've covered at least one of the songs from this movie at some point in time. Mm. I can see, I can see how it could be influential. Absolutely. You know, I um, I'm not taking away the film's um, importance. You know what I mean? Uh, this is 74 minutes. Yeah, it's just a little bit over an hour. Wow, this man, this felt like a hundred minutes, bro. Oh, really? You thought it was longer than that? I just, um, you know, it just, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, man. It, it just, it. I actually thought it was longer than that because I, I had watched this one day and then I paused it and then I came back to it the next day. I said, ah, I still got 40 minutes left. So that means <laughs> that you paused it like 20 minutes into the movie. I told you, man, I tapped. I, I was halfway tapped out <laughs> in the beginning, man. Oh, but, um, that is so great. Yeah, oh, this I, one's a classic in my mind. This is... I, I love the designs of it. The theme of it is great. Uh, the songs are just classics to me at this point. Uh, like Kidnap the Sandy Claws, uh, you know, What Is This? Like I can probably sing those songs off the top of my head if I needed to. And it, so this movie is just one that really, even though it's been so long since I had last seen it, it's probably been probably close to like, maybe eight or nine years since the last time I watched this movie prior to this, but it was all coming back to me like instantly as I was watching it. It definitely had that power with me. And even now, like being more like a movie critic watching it now versus when I was watching it before it just, the designs of every character being so different, uh, mm -hmm. the different kind of creativity they had with like the instruments and the different items that they were turning into gifts and stuff like that. Like, uh, using like the rad and kind of smashing it down to turn it into a hat. And they're like, no, no, just crank open the mouth of this bat. And you know, there's your hat. And it's like, oh, that is creative and creepy at the same time. Like the implications of everything in this movie is great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I feel like if I grew up with this film, I would be looking at it differently. Um, I, I do see its influence, uh, watching it and I can see how I could, uh, become a classic. Uh, I mean, this yeah, is one of the movies that got Tim Burton, uh, a lot of praise, like outside of like Edward Scissorhands and stuff like that. Like this was one of his movies that got a lot of like nominations and stuff. Yeah, I know. I know. Like I said, I, I I understand the importance of this film. Uh it just didn't uh it just didn't grab me, man. Um I, I well I'll say this. I like the montage of uh Jack Skeleton becoming Santa Claus and going to each house and uh he, him meeting a little kid. He's like, Oh hey, I'm Santa Claus. What's your name? And the little boy, I don't know why he doesn't say his name. He's just like, um uh uh he says, okay, here's your present. <laughs> Parents come in. He says, hey, where did Santa leave you? He pulls out this little voodoo, voodoo head and oh, yeah. starts screaming. 
<laughs> I thought that was hilarious. I, I do love that you were like watching him go through the houses and the lights would flick on after he'd drop a present down the chimney and you just hear the screaming <laughs> and he's like, oh my God, everybody's enjoying it so much because that's what he knows is right. you know, enjoyment <laughs> is screaming because of Halloween. So it's, I, I love that they really played with that character of him being uh, so centered on like Halloween logic that he was going, oh yeah, they're trying to shoot me down now. That that means they're happy. This is great. Right, right. Um, no, I think I, no. He said um, he says, oh, they're uh, they're playing fireworks or they're showing lights. Yeah, I don't think he said they're trying to shoot me down, but yeah, I like that part. Okay. <laughs> Just, so basically, everything outside of the songs you enjoyed, more or less. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it, man. The musical part of it just kind of turned me off. And, you know, again, I'm just one person. I just, there's only certain musicals I like, you know. I like mm-hmm. South Park bigger, longer, and uncut because of South Park. I grew up with South Park. I like Hamilton because Hamilton has a mix of R&B, hip-hop, you know, pop. Um, it's, it's It's unique. I like School Days because it's a Spike Lee movie. Um, you know, it's a Spike Lee college movie. You know, I, I like certain musicals, man. Um, some of them I just I just cannot get into. Okay, I I, I can understand that. This one it definitely I have like a childhood kind of attachment to. So I know that that's where a lot of my like glee in this comes from. In like especially when it comes to the songs and everything, because I'm usually about the same when it comes to musicals. I didn't really notice it that much with this one, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't notice it with Lion King. You know, like, Akuna Matata is just something that's just stuck in my brain. Right. But, like, if I had watched Lion King for the first time today, I probably would still like it. But uh, I probably would be trying to, like, get through the musical parts. So I get that. You know what I mean? You'd probably be going, yeah, we get it. You want to be a king. Let's move on. <laughs> Right. I well, I think I think if, even if I, if I saw it for the first time, I still would have loved that opening scene. You know that. Basamanga. Oh, that's that not a musical just, part though. That's just a great score on an amazing yeah. animated scene. <laughs> yeah, that's just a great. That's a perfect prologue, man. Like I, I can't imagine being in the theaters the first time that film dropped and just having it open like that. Oh, you didn't see Lion King as a kid. <laughs> saw it as a kid. I don't remember seeing it in theaters. Uh, you remember seeing it in theaters? I do not. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I can't imagine being in the theaters. <laughs> when the film started <laughs> and that prologue starts it with the, you know, the Basamania. That sounds uh, epic. So That's a game changer movie. Wrapping up uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, what, what are you putting this one on your rating scale? Because I know it's going to be separate from mine on this one. Um, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be fair. I see the classic value in this one. You know, this might be a few rewatches from a, for, for to be a masterpiece for me. Uh, but I'm not watching this again. Um, <laughs> I get this a light 3.5, man. Uh, th- this one's a four in my opinion. It's, it's a great movie. I love the music in it. I love the aesthetic, the claymation movements. It's just, it, there's so much I love about this movie. It's very well done. That's why oh, I give yeah. it. Uh, I guess why I give it that rating. I, I admire the craft that went into this. 
Yeah, if nothing else, if you watch this movie on mute, I'm pretty sure you would still be like, this is an amazing looking movie. You know, just that every character being so different and unique and it all being clay animation, all the movements are very smooth and it's there's a lot to love about it. And if you ever want to see a great documentary, there's one on the making of this from the uh, art side of it, of like how they were doing the clay animation part of it. And Mm -hmm. the amount of detail and intricacies that they put into this movie is beyond anything that you probably even noticed when watching it. So I highly recommend that for anybody that loves this movie or has been interested in like clay animation, the documentary on nightmare before Christmas is probably one of the best that I've seen. Okay. Yeah. Um, what, what's the documentary called? Is it just the making of, or it's like a making of, I can't remember what it was called, but it's, if you look up making of nightmare before Christmas documentary, you'd probably find it easily on Google. Okay. All right. Bet I'll um I'll keep that in the back of my mind. I might actually watch that because uh, I I that was a very um I like the way that I like the way it was made. I um I, I give a lot of props to this being like the first of its kind, um in the nineties uh you know because I, I I figured I didn't know this was the same director at first uh, when we were watching these two films and then I, but then I saw the name Henry Selick and I said oh man this is the same director it makes sense you know. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't realize it was the same director between the two when I pitched this one to you to do. So that that's just <laughs> right. a perfect coincidence. All right. Uh, you ready to move on? Yes. All right. Coraline. Uh, another film di- uh, written and directed by uh, Henry Selick and uh, based off the uh, children's novella by Neil Gaiman. Now, this one, man, this is something that, of course, no musical. Um, yeah, this, this one is, is not a musical in any... I think there's one song throughout the entire movie. There's one song. Actually, I think two. There's two. So one and a half. Okay. But, um, yeah, man, uh, this film was a film that grabbed me once I got interested in the story. And I just... Uh, I loved it, man. So um, this is a film where, um, the you know, the titular character I hate that word the the character's name who matches the title uh Coraline um she finds a um a parallel well she moves into this um kind of old creaky house with her parents who are um I guess writers uh and it, editors they're like catalog like a, writers catalog writers okay they move into this apartment um and I think it's like a it's like a shared it's like a sublease, right? Where they shared a building with another tenant. Yeah, it's like the basement is leased out by different people. Then there's the attic, and then they like lease out the main portion of the house. Okay. Oh, yep. Coraline, uh, she's an only child. Um, you know, she uh, she just wants uh, really someone to play with, and she just wants to she wants to keep herself occupied. You know, she's a hyper kid, just like any other kid her age. Uh, her parents are too busy trying to finish up their catalog, so they're not really like giving her too much attention. So she goes wandering out in the woods. She meets a friend. Um, what was his name? Uh, YB. She meets a friend, uh, YB. You know, he's a little, he's a little bit of a crazy one. You know, uh, he, uh, he's always, um, 
he's always wearing this weird mask and he always has his neck cooked a little bit. Yeah, it, you know, it, he almost looks like he's breaking his neck every time he moves. Right. Um, so he's a little annoying, but you can tell she has a kinship with him. You know, you, you can tell they're just they're just that pair of friends that know each other. Um, so one day Coraline finds a secret entryway uh, that goes into like this parallel world where um, her mom and dad are fun. They have buttons for eyes and they give her all the treats and candy she wants. And uh, the mother, the other mother, uh, kind of wants to lure her to stay there and never go back to the real world. And of course, you know, being that this is based off a of Neil Gaiman story. There's something sinister um, beneath the um, surface of uh, why the other mother wants to keep her there. Yeah. So basically this entire world is her dream world, more or less. Uh, Everything is perfect compared to what her reality is. And at first she doesn't think that it's actually real. She kind of just thinks that it's dreams because when she opens the door in this room originally, it's just a brick wall there. And then it's mm-hmm. after she falls asleep and she kind of gets woken up and she goes back to the door and she finds that it leads to a tunnel. And after she like wakes up again the next morning, she checks in. It's, you know, back to a brick wall. So it kind of played on the idea of is it a dream or not as well during the beginning uh, before right. you kind of come to realize it's very much real. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Straight up engaging the whole way through. I liked Coraline. I liked every single character in this man. Yeah, except for the except for the singing women that live next door. I didn't I didn't get their purpose. Uh, but uh, oh, the two perform the actresses. Yeah, like I just I didn't I didn't I didn't get what their purpose was. But I I, I didn't mind them either. Um, yeah, I I liked every single character in this man. I liked the uh. I like the message behind this movie, too. You know, like, of course, it's not always greener on the other side. You know what I mean? Like, you know, be careful what you wish for, yada, yada, yada. Um, And I like how this film, even for a kid's movie, is really dark. Like, not dark in an explicit way, but dark is in, like, kind of a disturbing way. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a very disturbing movie for being considered a kid and family-friendly movie. Like, it really borders that line between something that would be PG and PG-13. Because uh, there's some, like, kind of implications on it that it you should be on a PG-13 rating for this one. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, one of the things is um her friend in the real world, uh, YB... You know he's um he's mute in the uh in the other world and it's uh it's revealed that his mouth is like was kind of sewn shut and it was so- shown and in- sewn into a smile. Yeah. Um. Some people have died and gone missing in that other world and you know their souls collected like in balls that are like like um, located around the world. Like yeah, there's a lot of very dark adult themes in this movie, but I like the way it plays with it and still does keep it at a point where a kid can understand what's going on without being too creeped out. You know what I mean? Right. It it kind of border, like if this movie was made by a different director, this could totally be one of the most horrific kind of like horror movies uh, out there just with the same plot. 
because they could take in really dark places by just changing a couple aspects of it. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I'd go that far, but yeah, I guess I hear what you're saying. Um, yeah, I feel like it's a it's a very uh it's a very mature kids film. It handles its dark themes well, and uh, you can tell this is the same guy that made Nightmare Before Christmas because that movie was kind of like a dark satire of mm-hmm. uh of Christmas. You know what I mean? And like deconstructing Christmas and Halloween. In this one, um, you can tell this was this is a more mature story behind this film. Um, yeah, man, I, I love the voice acting. Dakota Fanning is great as Coraline. Um, I think Keith David was the cat, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I can't remember who the cat was, but that sounds right. Yeah, Keith David was the cat, because he has that little, he has that bass in his voice, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because I remember the first time watching this uh, was kind of going, I, the voice of that cat, like I remembered it very vividly during my rewatch. And I was like, hold on, who is that? And I remember looking it up back when I rewatched it, and I've already forgotten who it was. But yeah, uh, it's mm-hmm. it's a very recognizable voice and not one you would expect to be coming from a cat. <laughs> Yeah, Ian McShane was that uh, that Sergi guy, Bobinski, the guy that liked to do backflips and stuff like that. Yeah, he's another he's another character. I'm like, all right, I, I don't really get what his purpose is, but you know, I, I don't mind him. See, I don't mind the neighbors mostly because I love their designs because they have right. that very like weird claymation design. Like uh, with Bobinski, he's literally a ball with these like little string legs and arms. Right, and I, I love the character designs in this, and the animation in this one is. Uh, if you thought that Nightmare Before Christmas was impressive, uh, I forgot how smooth the animation on this one is. Like the way people's hair moves, uh, just their facial expressions, like everything is just so. It's very animated for something that's done through claymation, and it's yeah, so absolutely. smooth. Yeah, I I would completely agree. It's very smooth. Um, this is my first opening into uh, Leica films. I've, I've always wanted to watch Kubo and the Two Strings, but um, this is the only one I've seen. Okay, we definitely had to do a watch for Kubo and the Two Strings because that one is another fantastic movie. Yeah, I've heard. And uh, some people like Missing Link with uh, Zach Galifianakis. Yeah, Missing Link, I haven't seen that one. Uh, but I know that was their most recent one. And I think they have something else in production right now that's supposed to be coming 2022 or 2023. Uh, I don't remember what it's called, though, or if they even said anything other than they're working on a new movie. Uh, let me see if I can find out. 17 is what it's called. 2024. 2020. Okay, so it probably got pushed back because of pandemic and everything. Yeah. See, now this is a film here. I understand it's classic status. Like, you know, uh, when I initially watched this one, it was late at night and my wife was just watching it with me. She likes animated films. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of dozed off because it was the end of the night and I finished watching it the next day. But she stayed up and watched this. She was like, man, you fell asleep on a good movie. You know, so, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I um, of course, I finished watching it the next day and uh. Yeah, I agree, man. Uh, this is a very good movie. Um, I understand this film's classic status. I understand Nightmare Before Christmas 
too. But I feel like whether I watched this film when it first came out in 2009 or I watch it today, I still would have very much liked it. So you, you're basically saying for Coraline, it, no matter where, when you decide to watch this one, you think it holds its classic status. While with Nightmare, it was more, if you didn't see it as a kid, you're probably not going to, or not a fan of musicals, you're not going to have that same feeling toward it. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, I'm, my mind is drawing a blank right now, but some films, man, if you didn't grow up when it came out, you probably wouldn't like it today. Like, I love American Pie. But I grew mm-hmm. up when American Pie was, you know, I snuck and watched American Pie when I shouldn't have been watching it. Watching it today is like, eh, this is kind of an overly crude uh, adult comedy. It's still funny, but it doesn't like, the jokes don't hit as hard as when you were a kid. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like a like, lot of the jokes, you'll be like, oh, I remember that joke. And you'll kind of smile at it because you remember it. Not so much right. because it's not funny anymore. Right. Like, you know, like like Stifler doesn't really mean anything to the kids of today you know what right. i mean like like it means something to me because it's one of sean william scott's best roles but it doesn't mean anything to most of the kids today so when i say stuff like that like i look at nightmare before christmas as an american pie if you weren't really growing up around that time it don't hit you as hard like um gremlins i love gremlins as a kid uh you know watching it now it's a little it's a little cheesy, you know, it, it's kind of funny, kind of uh, kind of charming in its own way, but it's a little it's kind of a it's kind of a dumb movie. Yeah. You know, I I would put like The Room in that category of if you didn't see it when everybody was talking about it, it Oh no. You no, wouldn't I, I, enjoy it at all watching it by yourself. I, I disagree, man. Well, okay, by yourself, sure. By yourself. Um, but my wife saw that movie for the first time. My wife and my two friends, two of my best friends from Michigan, we all went to a midnight screening. It was all of their first time seeing it. The advice I gave them was like, look, don't take it seriously. And, um, when the movie started, man, everybody was cracking up, man. Like everyone was cracking up. So like, if you can see that one in a theater experience, I think you can enjoy it. But if you were to like find it on like dvd and somebody's like oh you gotta watch this movie and they hand it to you and you bring it home you probably be like i don't understand this at all like you had to be in the right environment to right, right be able to get that movie fair enough fair enough well you gotta be in on a joke um but yeah man i i really enjoyed this movie i feel like its final act had some very solid solid tension solid stakes um I like the whole action of it. I like how it was. I like how um, the suspense was like very plotted out for a chill, for a kids movie. Mm-hmm. Like how you know it goes from her going on this mission to find all three of the uh, eyes, and um, you know escaping, and then trying to like bury the last key. Like I love that little. I love how it was one suspense twist, suspenseful twist after another, and I like it. The film balanced that well. Oh yeah, the the plot of this movie does not take any breaks on itself, and it just continually chugs along, and kind of subverts your expectations of what's going on as well. Uh, you kind of already know that there's kind of some creepiness about it and stuff like that, especially when the cat comes in in the other world is like, yeah, the other YB actually told me that this place is, uh, you know, a hellhole more or less, <laughs> and it it. 
you kind of get an idea that something's wrong with it, especially when you see how the characters act when the other mother is gone or when things aren't kind of going as planned. Mm -hmm. And like with the father trying to kind of warn her a little bit, but can't really say anything. Uh, Right. right. There's a lot about it that just, it's such a great movie. It, they play with the characters perfectly. The villain is actually a great villain for it because it's not like this sympathetic character. It's she's evil. She's trying to literally kidnap and kill children. It's there, there's no kind of oh she's doing it because of this. No, it's she's just evil. You know, she's like a demon entity of some sort. Well, that's how she lives. Right. By, by by taking the souls of children like that. That's that's her. That's her um, it's not it's not a good reason because she's evil, but it's justified. That's how she lives by taking the souls of kids. Yeah, but it, I think it makes for a good villain, especially when it's yeah. one that comes off as like being perfect in every way at the beginning. And then it you start to kind of see, you know, the wallpaper peeling off the walls and <laughs> revealing what's really underneath. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, if we're all set here, man, uh, Coraline. Yeah, I'm gonna give this one. I'm gonna give this one a. Uh, so it's a rare like five. I, this was this was kind of like no frills. Very good. I could so I could see myself showing my kids this before Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, this one's been a five in my book for a long time. Uh, I absolutely love this movie. It's even watching it again just this last week. I fell right back into it and I would even like some of the plot lines I had forgotten like uh where the kids were trapped and how she had to like refine them and stuff like that so going through it again it was like rejogging my memory as it was going through it and still kind of surprising me a little bit and I this is one of those very few movies that is like I can't think of a single thing to change about it yeah yeah, it's 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 a good movie. I uh, I enjoyed it very much, and I don't feel like I don't feel like the the um the happy ending was uh fake by any means. It was an ending that was earned. Yeah, because it wasn't even like her perfect world kind of ending. It was still kind of just going along her path in life. She was just impatient with getting to be able to do the gardening and stuff. And then the ending being a happy ending is her getting to do the gardening, but with all the neighbors that she's kind of going to know both in the real world and in the other world. Right. Right. And she's come and she's come to um, appreciate her parents for what they are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah, man. I, I really like this one, man. So it uh, doesn't need to be said if we're doing the head-to-head versus Coraline wins. Yeah, it, it for both of our books, that one wins out. <laughs> right, definitely. Um, all right, man, it's been a minute. Uh, it might not be a minute for the audience, but it's been a minute since you and I linked up. Uh, I've seen some things, man. What about you? Uh, I know I've watched things, but... I cannot remember what it is because it's been a while. It's been like two, three weeks since we last uh, got together for a podcast. So I'm trying to think of what I've watched in that time. Um, you saw I know Venom. There was Venom 2, which I, I enjoyed. Saw Shang-Chi. I saw I saw. We both saw Venom. Not together, but we both saw Venom. I finally saw Shang-Chi. 
I enjoyed Venom too. I thought it was a great buddy comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. I can see the things that people were complaining about it, but at the same time, I still enjoyed it. Um, I got what I wanted out of it, man. Nothing more, nothing less. The I, the end credit teaser had me more geeked up for a certain movie than I already was, man. I'm gonna just say that. Um, Even with that in mind, it did not change at all how excited I was for that other movie. Because uh, I don't think you could do anything to pump me up more for that movie. Uh, you know, I I hear what you're saying, and I, I get it. My my excitement was already up, but it was two times up after I saw that. Oh, see, my excitement was already at like 120%. So it, that news kind of just made me go, oh, still at 120%. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny hey man i gotta say if i didn't say this on the show already you were right about shang chi man i saw it two times it was a good very good movie man yeah that it still surprises me how good of a movie that was because uh, i had high hopes for it because i love kind of kung fu movies and everything like that and I was really hoping that this would have some really good, like, kung fu fight scenes in it and everything. And I got exactly what I wanted from, like, a mystical kind of kung fu Marvel superhero movie. It gave me everything I wanted and some. You told me there was a very corny Marvel moment. I don't I, – I didn't I didn't catch it. What, uh, what was it? The one joke that I think was more Marvel – was the most Marvel moment in this was when they were on the airplane. He was like telling his entire backstory and they were interrupted <laughs> by the air hostess. I thought that was funny. I, like, I it, it got it, me a got... chuckle and everything, but that was like the most like it, you know how Marvel pushes like comedy in whenever they get like a serious moment. It, that was oh. the Marvel moment in that movie where they were like being very serious and everything. And then they, cut to like a joke of you know being interrupted while on a plane eh, okay i mean i guess i'm not that conscious of the the marvel formula when it comes to putting comedy i mean i guess that, that's not a formula that isn't broken though you know bring a little bit of levity to like a a weighty moment or a weighty situation um okay i guess so uh I thought you were going to mention the guy that was vlogging while they were fighting on the bus. Like, okay, I only oh, know no, I love that. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of rolled my eyes at that scene. Like, oh, you really going to go for that generation? Oh, no, I, I absolutely love that because, he, look, I took uh, karate in the third grade, so I'm going to try and break down what's going on here. <laughs> right, right, right. For all of y'all. I Listen, love man. that. And that was the same guy that uh, in Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, like near the beginning of the movie when like Spider-Man's trying to figure out stuff to do, he's like buying mm. a hot dog. He's like, hey, you're Spider-Man. Do a flip. It's that same guy. <laughs> the do a flip guy is the guy that was recording the bus scene in Shang-Chi. I haven't, I haven't seen Homecoming yet. Oh, you're, you're going to need to watch I, that one before. <laughs> I've just seen... um. Is it uh far away from home? Uh far from uh, home. Far from home. That's the only one I've seen with uh my man, um Tom Holland. Tom Holland. Yeah. See, it always gets strange saying Tom Holland because I think there's a director named Tom Holland and he made child he made the first child's play. Uh 
it doesn't sound like it would be like a rare name. So I could see it. I can't okay. think of who did Child's Play though, off the top of my head. It was him, and he did Fright Night too. Okay. Two great, great uh, '80s horror movies. Um, well, I think they're '90s, ain't they? No, nah, Child's Play was '80s. Yeah, Child's um, Play was definitely '80s. Yeah, low key, my favorite horror villain, by the way, him and Freddy. Really, uh, Chucky is one of your favorites. Yeah, just because they both make me laugh. Oh, okay, I can kind of yeah. see that. I love Robert Inglis, Freddy, and I I love uh, Brad Dourif's Chucky. When Mark Hamill did Chucky, he his his voice acting is great, um, and it was great as Chucky, but it was like. I don't know. Chucky just looked weird in that reboot. I didn't like that movie. Um, yeah, because it was supposed to be like a more advanced kind of like doll. It was supposed to yeah, look AI. Yeah. Uh, I, I think for being where it's supposed to be a doll that's all friendly and stuff, Mark Hamill is the voice actor for that to like subvert to that weird kind of creepiness. I think he was perfect for that. But yeah, I I did not watch that movie. It would have been interesting to see Mark Hamill. Yeah, I know. I know you're not a horror guy. It would have been interesting to see Mark Hamill do the Brad Dorf Chucky. That's in a doll that has like the straight plastic face, mm. and you know, like has the tacked-on smile that can frown when he's about to kill a kid or try to kill a kid or whatever. Um, that AI Chucky stuff. I'm like, you didn't really need Mark Hamill for that. You could have got any voice actor for that. You know. Yeah, because who else was in that one? That was with... Aubrey uh, Plaza. Aubrey Plaza, that's right. It's the stay-at-home yeah. mom. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you think Aubrey Plaza, you say, oh, stay-at-home mom. Oh, yeah, that's a perfect on, role man. for her. She she definitely looks that. She's a great actor, that. but she, she works in certain roles. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but, all right, moving on, because we got a little trailed off. Uh, I saw The Many Saints of Newark. The Sopranos prequel. Oh, how was it? It was it was really good, man. I feel like if you know the show, if you've like watched the show front front to end, it works like El Camino works in 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 comparison to Breaking Bad. It feels like a great extended Sopranos episode. You know what I mean? Like it it could work as like a feature length Sopranos episode. Um, okay. If you're watching it without knowing most of what happened in the original series. You could be a little lost as it kind of deep. It kind of delves into the mythology um, of the Sopranos and the history of their family. And you know, Tony Soprano is a teenager in this film. He's mm-hmm. not even really like the. He's not even really like the main character, but he is kind. He's one of the main characters, but the film isn't really centered centered around him. It's around his um his uncle. Okay. Uh, yeah, man, it was really good, man. Acting was top notch. Uh, I would give it. I'm probably gonna post a review to six bit, but uh, I would give it like B plus A minus. You know, A minus as a Sopranos story, B plus as a movie on its own. Okay, I'm curious if I saw that one because I haven't finished Sopranos yet. So yeah, I, yeah, I need yeah. to do that, and then I'll sit down and watch that movie. But uh, yeah, I know yeah. that you also saw the Last Duel. I was thinking of seeing that this last weekend. Dude, straight fire, man straight fire i was initially listen i was initially a little hesitant because i'm i like really scott but you know some stuff with the medieval times can be hit or miss it could be gladiator or it could be uh what was it the one about moses uh heaven and earth or something exodus yeah 
it, I heard that one wasn't that good. So it could be great or it could be all right. Um, this one, man, I'm telling you, man, there were some fight scenes that gave me gladiator chills. Okay. Like, Cause I remember seeing the trailer for this one and like seeing the casting for it. And I was just like, ah, this is either going to be really good or really bad. And I can't tell which side it's going to fall on from the trailers. Everyone except Ben Affleck was great. And I like Ben Affleck, but you can't put this guy in a medieval movie, man. He He's too much Ben. You just you, you just can't do it. I Ben Affleck can act. We know he can act. Mm-hmm. We we've all seen Gone Girl, but I, he just he just he, you can't put him in these type of movies, dude. He's too much Ben. Like it's like he was trying to do. I don't I don't know how to put it, man. It was kind of like a it was like a medieval accent mixed with a drunk Bill Cosby. It didn't work. <laughs> Like you have to see it for yourself because he sounds like Ben trying to do medieval talk. Adam Driver sounded like a medieval knight. Matt Damon kind of sounded like Matt, but he still he sold it. You know, yeah. Matt sold the role. You know what I mean? Um, Jodie Comer, of course, you know, brilliant. She sold her role. It's just Ben was just a little off. Okay. Yeah, I'm but definitely going to have to see that sometime this week because I want to catch that one before it leaves theaters at the very least. Oh, I would say definitely, man. If you can catch it in Dolby, I didn't catch it in. Well, I don't think AMC has it in Dolby because it's considered an independent movie because it's Fox Searchlight. It's considered one of their artisan films. They've had some of those in Dolby, though. Like, I think Joker was in Dolby and they considered that one of the Searchlight films. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, uh, maybe I'd have to check it. and see, though, if it's actually in Dolby in any of the theaters right now because I think everything Dolby is still Venom 2 right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, or no, man. it's James Bond right now. That's what's in Dolby. Yeah, man. Great movie making. Uh, I mean, great movie theater experience. And there's a great uh, powerful story, of course, at the center of it about, you know, rape and um, women not having a voice in those in those dark ages and just like, you know, automatically asking the man what he thinks, asking the man of of counting the man as the one who was um violated against and not the woman you know like it, there's a there's a powerful story in it there's great action there's a a lot of tense drama um some scenes are kind of hard to look at uh you know me, meaning that it, it, it gets dark uh dude everyone did their thing man adam matt jody everyone was great i would that's one rewatch away from me calling it a masterpiece but off off the first watch 4.5 okay yeah it's i definitely gotta check that one out because uh the next movie that's coming up here is dune oh yeah i gotta finish the book man i i'm halfway through i like the book i just haven't finished it (laughs) you you only got a couple more days (laughs) yeah yeah i know i know i'll probably read it after work or something uh monday through friday but um yeah i'm seeing that in theaters too I'm looking forward to that. I want to see David Lynch's too, because I heard like that one. We should do that episode. We should do David Lynch's versus uh, Dennis V's. Yeah, I, I figured that's what we would probably be doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I saw those two. I saw Titan, which was a great French um, uh, kind of dark thriller film. I'd, um, it's not for everybody, but I would recommend checking it out. That's a pretty good movie. Uh, and it won the Palme d'Or. 
Uh, what else did I see, man? I saw Titan. I saw. Have you sat down and watched Squid Game yet? No, but thank you for telling me what it's about. (laughs) (laughs) See, I figured you already knew. I didn't know that was spoiling that part for you because that was the basic synopsis. I'm still gonna watch it, man. Um, but I know that's kind of like the. That's kind of what Bird Box was for Netflix a few a couple years ago. Like it's like the big thing on there, um, and some people are comparing it to Parasite um, because it's a uh, it's uh, Asian cinema. That's I don't very think popular. people are comparing it to Parasite. People are saying if you enjoyed this, go watch Parasite because this is one of those few mo- or shows or anything that's like a uh, subtitled kind of form of media that a lot of people are watching. Because uh, that's typically the barrier for a lot of well, people. They're, they're comparing the hype of the two movies is what I mean. Not like oh, the plot okay. line of it. They're comparing the hype of it. Like how Parasite was kind of like a hype subtitle film. Like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was back in the day. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like uh, it was like a phenomenon. So there's like a squid game phenomenon now. Dude, I've seen all the memes. I don't know what that little double Dutch big girl is. But I guess she's something sinister. Um yeah, I, 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 when you told me it's like Battle Royale, which I love that book and that original movie, um, I was like, oh, okay, all right. You kind of took the edge off a little bit because I'm like, well, I know what to expect out of this now. I was kind of go, kind of gonna go in with no preconceptions, but I'm like, all right, well, I guess it's an adult Battle Royale then. Well, I mean. There's, There's enough series. differences between it and Battle Royale, but that's like the brief synopsis that everybody says is it's it's Battle Royale, but with adults. Okay, yeah, I'm still gonna watch it, man. It's on the list. Um, I've heard good things about it. What do you What do you rate it? What do you? Say um, about it? that one I would probably give like a four out of five. Uh, okay, it's it has a lot of concepts I love, a lot of things that I wish it kind of did something a little bit more with. And then some parts that I just kind of went, I didn't like that. <laughs> okay. Okay. But it yeah, stands a, as a four out of five to me, I think. Okay. I'm going to check it out. Um, that's one of those success stories, man. That uh, guy who created it, he had had that storyline for so so long, been rejected for so long, and then finally it got picked up. Which just goes to show that Netflix will literally buy anything. This guy was pitching this around for 10 years and couldn't get anybody to look at it. He walked into Netflix and he had a season right off the bat. Hey, it, it shows that they'll buy anything, but it shows that they'll also take a chance. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that's like one of the jokes that, you know, everybody has about Netflix is, you know, if you can come up with a title of something, they'll give you, you know, a blank check to make it. Yeah. Speaking of Netflix, uh,. You think you're on a lot of fire with this Chappelle thing, man. I didn't think it was that big of a deal at first. I was like, well, you know. Have you, you actually know, watched mean, the special? I have. Yeah. So uh, it basically, I don't think that many people are really outraged about it. I think you could probably fit everybody that's actually outraged about that into a gas station. And you could probably fit yeah. everybody that's outraged about it that actually watched it in the bathroom of that gas station. Like it's. Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it, and it's just like every other Dave Chappelle kind of thing. Like, he makes the jokes about this and that, but he explains his opinion on it. And I I don't think he went out of bounds with it. 
Yeah, I mean that's yeah, and, and and you know, all people listening, look, these are two cis men talking about this. We're, we're considered cis, right? I don't yeah. know these terms these days. All right, we're two cis men talking about this. We get it. Um, me personally, I'm like, I don't think Dave is transphobic. I can see how some of those jokes could offend people of the LGBTQ plus community, but I'm like, I don't think he, I don't think he's a phobic or person that kind of hates that community. And yeah, like again, this is cut. This is cancel culture, and it kind of goes to speak about what he talks about in that special. Um, and especially his last special, he talked about it as well. Where sticks like, and stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was funny. I thought it was a great Dave Chappelle special. Like I, I, I got what I wanted out of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, it was uh, some truth bombs, some uh, a lot of funny, a lot of humor. Um, I know the main criticism that people have about Chappelle. I can kind of see it, but I don't feel the same way is that it doesn't really feel like stand up to some people. It feels like he's preaching. I'm like, well, in some aspects, I don't think the whole special feels like that. Not to me. I I can kind of see it because he does do a lot of monologuing. Yeah. uh, In order to set up his jokes and everything like that. Um, it, it comes off as more like informational and stuff. Like when he's telling like the joke about the baby, uh, it, it does come off as more of a monologue than a joke. It's hilarious, but it does come off as more of a monologue than a joke. Right, right. I can see that. I can see it. I can understand it. Um, that's also his comedy style, and I, I like that kind of comedy style. Uh, Bill Burr has yeah. a very comedy style similar to that, where he'll like monologue into a joke. <laughs> that guy's funny. Bill Burr's funny. Yeah, I, I agree, man. I... I, I like it, um, you know. And comedy has always been subjective. You like what you like, but uh, yeah, it was a it was a regular Dave Chappelle special to me. Um, all right, so what we got? Squid Game closer. Uh, what else did I see? I think we're all caught up, man. I saw the last duel. Uh, Halloween Kills. I just saw the latest Halloween film. And how did that one hold up to the others? I haven't seen a um, Halloween movie in a long time. I've seen the first and the second one. And I don't think I've seen anything outside of like Freddy versus Jason. Oh, so you never saw Buster Rhymes dropkick Michael Myers? No, I've never seen that. <laughs> wow. You need to see Halloween Resurrection, man. That's one of the greatest, dumbest Halloween films ever. <laughs> um, it, it's dumb in a great way, though. It's a great movie. Uh, <laughs> you need to see that Buster Rhymes scene when he drop kicks Michael Myers. <laughs> oh man, and that's when Buster Rhymes still had his dreads. But um, yeah, it was cool, man. Um, comparing it to the last Halloween film, the latest one with Jamie Lee Curtis, where she's you know she's she's older and you know basically shotgun Laurie Strode. Um, it was cool as a, as a sequel to that one. It's like. It's exactly what I expected. Nothing more, nothing less. It wasn't really anything to write home about, but it wasn't the worst Halloween film e- either. Um, kills were pretty grisly. Like the kills were pretty, pretty grisly. Not as grisly as the Rob Zombie movies, because he kind of went all in on his Halloween films. But they were, they were pretty grisly. Um, yeah, it's just a regular Halloween film, man. I guess I'll I'll see the last one, but I'm not too geeked about it. Oh, okay. 
And I think that pretty much wraps that up for today. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, All right, y'all. We will see y'all on the next one. Um, Double feature versus uh, subscribe. Uh, Catch y'all later.